0: So today I want to talk about um, maybe the simplicity of devotion to the Lord, the often uncommon or unorthodox way in which He leads us, uh, the brilliance of following His voice, and just there's, there's something, there's, there's a deeper way of knowing somebody, and that is to know their ways. And Moses asked. God in Exodus 33 to like, show him his ways. show me your way. It's, it's a, you got one more in the, in the tank? No, stopping at one. Um, But it's like, he would literally, he asked to know God on a higher level. And because so, because of this, God ends up showing him his glory. And there's something to knowing the ways of the Lord and the ways of his spirit. And it's a more intimate knowing of God, which he desires for all of us to walk in. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to start, maybe watch John 21 like the ending scene of a movie and we'll watch it before the whole story. We'll see if this works. You know, I like to do this type of thing sometimes. So John 21 is, is after everything's said and done. Jesus is actually, you know, this time of year, he's actually gone. The Passover lamb himself has showed up and paid for the sins of all mankind and his disciples are just now becoming hip to the reality that he's not a failure. And this despair and hopelessness that they were feeling for three days, 40 hours, was actually being turned around because he started showing up and, and showing them that he was alive. And one of the coolest ways that he did this, every single way was super cool, but the way we'll watch this is the story of John 21, when Jesus shows up on the beach, when the disciples are out fishing and it, John 21 just starts off, says after these things, this is after Jesus has, sho- has showed up, the, 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 the tomb is empty. He's showed up in the midst of the people, you know, told Thomas, you know, touch my hands and stuff like this. So he, he's showing up and, and, and Peter's just like, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing back to his roots, really, because that's where he was when he first met the Lord. Not just a fisherman, but, you know, in the business of harvesting fish. And so, anyhow, he's going fishing. The other disciples, a group of them, are like, we're going with you. And all of a sudden, they're out there, you know, sailing around, paddling around, whatever it was, fishing. And they hear a voice, a very unconventional voice in John 21, verse 5. Children, have you guys caught any food? And they yelled back, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, this doesn't make much sense to people who are professional fishermen. Um, It seems very, it almost, it seems foolish. Even if the boat's 10 foot wide, it's just like, also, there's a lot swimming on the other, under the other side of the boat, you know. But see, Peter had some history with this reality. It says they cast cast their net, and now they were not able to even draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So something happens where this man shows up and shouts to them. They don't know who he is. And they do something that they were already doing as experts, but failing, and it becomes very plentiful, fruitful says, therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. They recognized him. Now, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he basically jumps into the water. He plunged into the sea and he starts swimming after the land. Kind of like you guys deal with the fish. I'm going after him. Something arose in Peter's heart where he was like, he recognized the shepherd and he followed the shepherd and he went straight after him. Of course, I love verse eight. The disciples, they came in the little boat for they're not far from land, about 200 cubits. A cubit is from like your hand to your elbow. And so it's like, you know, maybe almost a football field long is how far they were, which isn't really that far. Cut the end zones off. It says, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire and some coals and some fish laid on it. So here's Yahweh, God in the flesh, sitting there making food. Like, come on, throw a couple of them fish you just caught with my advice on the fire real quick, and let's hang out, you know. And so we've went over this story recently. Nobody dared ask him. He was coming in a way that, um, in, in a way which they could not recognize him by the flesh, but teaching them to recognize him by the Spirit, for those who worship the Lord, worship the Spirit and truth. And so here's this beautiful picture of the disciples learning the ways of the Lord and the voice of the Lord and, and recognizing the Lord. And there's so many stories in the Bible of people who, God would show up to them both in the Old and in the New Testaments, and He would come in such a way that was so practical or simple or plain, or even as the Angel of the Lord as a person that they wouldn't recognize Him often until He did something, and then He left. You know, all these different people: Jacob turning his name to Israel, Gideon, and you know Abraham in the tent. You know, these people would rec- You know, He would come in this simple and humble and plain way. But it's the story of people who would receive the counsel of God throughout the entire Bible in such simple and unorthodox ways that yielded incredible results. And the reality is for us as Christians who follow the same shepherd, he's the same today as he was then. So often unconventional, so often unorthodox. And, and the, the brilliance of, of a lot of these stories, I was reading some of these stories this week is, even in, in our New Testament, when Jesus was actually showing up in the flesh, he, would, he came in such a way that people had such a grid of who God was that they completely would discredit Him or discount Him. And there's one story in Luke 4, and that's what I really want to do today, Luke 4 and Luke 5, where Jesus actually comes to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Them, them, you know. And um, Jesus literally shows up. It's actually, how about this, your first... Uh, you know time you become a minister or your speaking gig and you get tossed out of the place it'd be like you know maybe you're not cut out for this line of work buddy you know but that's actually what happened to Jesus he literally shows up to his hometown after he's received this baptism the spirit you know comes upon him he goes out in the wilderness he he's face to face with Satan he has all these different wild things and he actually comes to his to his own hometown and he actually comes and he starts to actually teach the word, teach the Bible, teach the scrolls, the Torah. And he starts to say things that it says in Luke 4.22, you know, some of you have heard these, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, closes the book and he gives it back to the attendant and he says today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing so this is his this is his breakout he's coming to church no one's known him he's actually he's actually in his home region and it says all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth but they were like is this not joseph's son to which jesus starts saying things that i find super interesting he says you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard you done, that you've done in Capernaum, do here in your own country also. It's like, you guys are going to hear famous things and wild things that I do in other areas, and you're going to be uh, somewhat chapped about it. Those are my words. Then he says, Assuredly, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you the truth, many widows... When Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Sounds, sounds like a simple enough word. Uh, quotes a couple stories from the Torah, from the Old Testament, from the prophets. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. But then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. And it's just like, man, this seems like a really traumatic um, instance of Jesus coming to people that recognize him, that know him, coming into the very religious system that he's been involved with his entire life, and actually says some things, hey, hey there's some things that I'm going to do in, this li- in my life and in my ministry, he like prophesies what's going to happen. It's going to come across so, so unconventional to you it's gonna come across as being so crazy that you're gonna look at me as a failure and you're gonna mock me saying hey physician heal your own self it's like you guys have such a backward carnal view you can only see me by the flesh and only know me by the flesh and because of this you're actually gonna mock me while i am saving your lives and it's just like geez. That's, that's kind of heavy. And then he goes on to say, and I say this, and he gives these two very stories that he quotes about prophets who were sent to foreigners and how they were actually able to recognize the voice of God and receive it and bear the fruit of it. But those of his own town were not going to be able to do that until after the fact. And it made them so mad that they were like, man, this guy, I, it's like they go from saying like, man, the, the gracious words that proceed out of his mouth to be like, you know what? Let's kill this guy today. <laughs> so they led him up on a hill to try to throw him off. Of course, supernaturally, he actually just walked right between the midst of them and rolled because it wasn't his time. And he went to the very city which he was actually talking about going to, but they were going to hear famous things about him. Capernaum. It's interesting. And when I look at these stories, it's interesting to to hear the word of God, Yahweh himself, telling stories that were written about him talking to people. Isn't that kind of just a strange vibe right there? Maybe just me? But it's like here's Yahweh literally talking about Yahweh, the embodiment of God, in the flesh, referencing a story about a woman whom Elijah was actually sent to. If you know the story, we won't probably go through, you know, the whole thing, 1 Kings 17. Like when Elijah basically caused, you know, said it's not going to rain for, you know, until I say it's going to rain. And there was a big famine and a drought, you know, the whole Jezebel drama and Ahab and all this. And when, when it was time for Elijah to actually be fed, he'd been fed by ravens and by the book, Brook Kidron. When it was time for him to actually, he was running low on funds and on, and on food. God actually sends him to this lady. And um, this lady named Zarephath. In the region of Sidon, to he shows up to the lady and the unconventional voice of the Lord to this woman is Elijah, you know, hiding behind some bushes that says, hey, lady, make me some food and give me something to drink. To which her response was like, actually, I have enough flour and oil to make one last cake for me and my son before we die, you know, which is like, I'm on my very last leg. But Elisha, some, somehow this lady had the faith to recognize Elisha, saying, like, here's, here, well, here's the plan. Go and make that food, but make it for me, and then you'll be all right. That's, I don't know about you, that sounds like a traveling you know, snake oil salesman or something. Well, just give me what you've got, and you'll be taken care of, in a sense. Like, that makes no kind of sense at all, you know. Of course... There was something she recognized about the unconventional wisdom of the word of God coming to her. She recognized that her faith was in it. And because of this, what happens to her? She's completely and totally provided for. She rides out the famine. She's all good. The second story is a story I've done a lot in here that he quotes. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, but none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. There was tons of lepers in our region But for some reason, the word of the Lord came and was recognized, and Naaman the Syrian actually received the fruit of its reward. Leprosy was reversed from his body. And this is one of the most brilliant stories in the Bible to me, because it goes back to the simplicity of following the Lord's voice, even when it makes no sense at all. And maybe we'll just, Cliff notes it, it's in 2 Kings 5, um, but I'll flip over there just for your own sake. Naaman, as you know, was, uh, or many of you know, was, was a ruler or a leader, a military leader of the Syrians, an army that, that was very much um, against Israel. He had leprosy. He had an, he had an Israeli slave, sounds bad, um, that gave his wife, the council said, hey, if he'll actually just get to a prophet that's in Israel who actually has the power of God because he hears the word of the Lord, he could probably be cleansed. He gets this advice he actually makes his way into the council of the king of Israel. He sends a messenger. The messenger comes to the king of Israel, says, hey, Naaman, the Syrians got leprosy, and there's supposed to be a man of God here that can heal him. Of course, the king of Israel at the time was quite a coward. He freaked out and said, this is an ambush. They're actually just looking to pick a fight with me. When Elisha heard it, he said, this isn't what's happening. Nobody's picking a fight with you. Let this man come to me. Let this man come and be healed. So, Naaman the Syrian ends up coming to Elisha's door, and Elisha gives him the, advi- the advice without even standing up and come to the door. Elisha sends a messenger out to the door. The messenger comes to Naaman the Syrian and says, Hey, Elisha told me to tell you, third hand, to go wash in the Jordan River. Dip yourself seven times into the Jordan River. After you come up, right as rain, you're going to be good. Yeah, incredible story, but it says Naaman became furious at the advice that he was given by the man of God. He's like, you came to tell me that I came here from Syria, hundreds of miles away, and I'm going to go dip in the Jordan river seven times and I'm going to be healed of this lethal, deadly sickness that I have. And, and not only that, he was offended that Elisha didn't even come to the door to talk to him himself. So here he is ticked off and he's, he's ready to just take his ball and go home when one of his actual assistants that's with him says hey naaman can i say something he says yeah he's like i've got an idea if this prophet of god would have came and he wove his hand over you if you would have done something miraculous wouldn't you have listened to him so if he gives you these simple instructions to walk over to the jordan river and dip in it seven times maybe you should give it a try to which Naaman, with his terrible attitude, his, fur- his furious rage that he was in, chooses to listen, not even to the prophet, but to, to his assistant that tells him to listen to the prophet. He goes and he dips seven times, and he's completely pure and cleansed of leprosy. And this is a brilliant story. You know, he becomes a, a, a friend to Israel in a sense. He takes some land back with him to Syria, some dirt, so that he could worship God on, on Israeli dirt. It's just a beautiful story. But the the brilliance of it is, is here you have Yahweh in his first teaching, teaching these two stories in a synagogue before he gets thrown out because people want to kill him. Is it just me or is it a little <laughs> warm? Okay. Um. Thanks, Mama. He's like, but the the thing about it was is is when Yahweh does something, or when Jesus says something or does something, it's, so, it's, it's of such profound importance, and nothing is by accident. And so here he is in his first, in his, his big break, in his first gig, that he's at the synagogue and he's teaching these people things, and he uses these two stories of people who were not, of course Naaman was initially, but they didn't let offense or the simplicity or the fact that it wasn't grandiose enough keep them from following through in faith on the word of the Lord that was presented to them. And, 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 and also what Jesus is saying is like, hey, you guys are so locked into the religious system and grid, you, can't, you don't even recognize that God himself is sitting, because that's how they taught, is sitting in front of you teaching you his word. And they wanted to throw him out. Of course, he knew they would. But there's something to that simplicity. There's something to that simple follow through of recognizing who he is, even when it seems unconventional, even when it seems super unorthodox. That is the essence of true New Testament Christianity. The Lord is my shepherd, you know. Leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging Jesus in all of our ways and watching the doors fly open before us. Watching the desires of our actual heart, our destiny and our purpose be fulfilled and unlocked, not by pursuing them, but by pursuing him and walking in his way. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And so Jesus, I was going to say takes an L, takes a loss, but he doesn't take a loss. He's kicked out of them. They try to take him up to a hill to kill him, which he would be killed on a hill eventually when he allowed it, but he literally supernaturally walked through the midst of them without them actually being able to hold on to him, which happened several times. He passed through the midst of them and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching there on the, Sabbath, on the Sabbaths, a place where people were not just familiar with the, with the system system. Customary ways of God but but were slightly more open he taught there on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority he cast out demons he did miraculous things all in this thing and it was actually getting people's minds to actually realize wait there's something excuse me there's something more to this guy there's something more that he's got going on it says he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house hey that's the Fisher from the last part of the story right he goes and he enters Simon's house and the next thing you know but this is the first time he meets Simon not the time Simon who's named Peter jumps in the water and swims up after him he enters Simon's house and Simon's wife's mother so I guess his mother-in-law had a high fever and they made a request of him concerning her so he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. So now Peter's getting to meet this guy. And his first introduction is he comes to have dinner at his house. And he cures his mother-in-law. It says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he lays his, laid his hands on them, one, and healed them all. In my Bible right there on verse 40, I have the word Exodus written. And this is why it says when the sun was setting, all those who who had any that were sick, there's something that happened to him when he started to teach in these synagogues who were open to him. And he did some miraculous things there. That there was a recognition of him. But I love it, it says when the sun was setting, because this is all on the Sabbath day and they couldn't travel around. They couldn't run around and do these things. So they as soon as the Sabbath day was over. Can you imagine that? Like, oh my gosh, there's somebody special that's from God. It actually is God. We've read the end of the book. There's somebody special that's from God. He's actually here in town. He was at the church today. He's over there at so and so's house. Like, oh, but we're not allowed to travel over there. We're not allowed to go. That's about six streets away. It's like, you know, and, and having to wait until the sun goes down so you're not in trouble with God to go meet this guy. And it's so brilliant. These people who are so controlled by fear and locked into the religious system with a, with a grid of God that is so far from who he truly is, trying to obey his rules and waiting to go see him until that he won't get mad. It's like, hey, by the way, there's no need. But when the sun sets and it's like, hey, get him. Everyone rushes the guy. You know what I mean? And it's brilliant. But it's like, you would think like, hey, this Jesus guy... You know, if you're a Pharisee or if you're the teacher, you're like, hey, wait a second, buddy. Don't you, don't you, you've drawn a lot of attention to yourself. You better not get these people to break our rules. But that's true. Those are your rules, you know. And see, this is the exodus from the religious system. He gets kicked out of the religious system in the first scenario by telling a couple Bible stories and what they were going to do about him, you know. But then all of a sudden, he's actually, he's actually just like, he's, he's leading people out of the, the, the grid of that. Of that false, like, you know, life of of just customary expectation about nothing with God, but maybe go to heaven when you die. You know? So here's Yahweh, Jesus, the embodiment of God, actually drawing people to Himself, and they're coming after Him. And so the next phrase is the next day, He's like, actually, so the multitude pressed about Him to hear the Word of God that He was saying. He's like, but he saw two boats standing by, and the fishermen that had gone um, from them were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put, out, put it out a little from the land. So Jesus has become super infamous in his first ministry trip and thrown out of church. He skips town to the next city, and the next thing you know, he's, he's not infamous. People are actually coming after him. They're 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 watching their customary rules to wait, but as soon as they feel free as soon as they feel free from that control, they'll go actually find them and get a hold of them. So now he's talking and now he's not infamous, now he's actually drawing a crowd, and he sees two boats, and it says, I love this, that the they were Simon's, but the fishermen had gone from them and they're washing their nets. And so these guys had you know, they'd parked their boats while they were going to to do their You know, the second portion of their job. And uh, apparently Jesus understood that it was Peter's company that he owned these boats and all this stuff. And he's like, hey, man, like, why don't we push out a little bit? Because people are crowding up and that way will give me a little bit of space and everybody can kind of be around this way. And it'll it'll work, you know. And it's really cool. So, you know, so he sits down and he teaches the multitudes from a boat, which is a super creative and kind of cool way. um, Jesus was was doing that. It says, when he had stopped speaking, I guess he dismissed the meeting. He tells Peter, he looks over at him and still calling him Simon at this point. He says, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. In other words, like, that's like, I will, uh, I'll just do it to pacify you, but. Kind of like, hey, buddy. Rabbi, Jewish leader, teacher, like, this—you're in my, you're in my world now, buddy. You know, we've been doing this all night. You know, there's probably certain way these currents work. There's certain way the fish move. It's like, listen, this isn't a... okay, buddy. I'll do it. You know, you want to see what it's like to go fishing? You know what I mean? Whatever. He's not taking the guy serious. Like, okay, let's try, let's try this. You know, and um, so Simon Peter, um, you know, we we've told all night, you know. Never at your word, you know, I'll I'll appease you, I'll appease you. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This is ridiculous. If you're watching this, the the weight of the amount of fish was going to rip their nets to where multiple boats had to join in. And not only that, then the fish they were pulling in off of was causing the boats to sink down into the water. It's so, it's so wild and, and overtly supernatural. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Get away from me. Depart from me. I'm, sin- I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. So when they had, so when they had brought all their boats to land, they forsook and followed him. And I read that actually just this week. I was just reading that and just kind of watching that in a mo- as a movie like, you know, at my own house. And... You just see the story of this guy. You realize when you see that scene right there, you know, Peter's first introduction to Jesus was like, yeah, kind of gives him room to have a platform through what he was doing. And um, but then he realized who it was. He didn't even fully know who he was. He just knew that when he listened to his voice, there was something so profound that happened and Supernatural that he was of God. And instantly it caused him to be self-focused and instantly, oh, I'm, I'm sinful, get away from me. And think about this, Jesus had actually chosen with him, chosen him and actually got into his boat, boat intentionally knowing what type of man he was, what his mouth was like or whatever, you know. So when they had brought all their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And... Um, points to that story it's like it was super unorthodox and un, you know uncommon but it totally worked number two is actually a business these weren't just fishermen that came you know we think of like the bible people as like cavemen but practically they fish and eat, eat in their little huts it's like no this dude had a, a business he had a fleet of ships he owned real estate and stuff Peter did and you know it, he had a company and, and probably had concern with success in life as many people do. And so many people say when he, you know, they their boats came to land. They forsook all and followed him. All these guys did. And some people are like, well, they're just willing to throw their business away. And maybe that's maybe that could work. But to me, it seems more like, hey, like the people that were actually doing the fishing were actually off cleansing their nets. So there's obviously workers that normally manned those positions, and he just got in the boat with them and took them out there, you know. But it's almost like. If Peter had any question about leaving what he had to follow the Lord, you know, it's one of those things like, hey, like your stuff's going to do well. How about the the success of your business doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hinge on you being here and toiling all night, as he said, you know, the success of your business and your, and your, your functions in life. Actually, they rest upon you following me. Boom and clicked. Like, oh my gosh, I'm in the eye of the hurricane. I'm in in the absolute safest place in in all of time and space. I'm following the Lord Jesus causes the things that, you know, the provisions, the fish, you know, whatever your life, that stuff will work out. My job is actually to follow the voice, you know. It's like, you mean, yeah, just cook up that last meal that you're going to give you and your son before y'all starve to me. And it's just like, no, no. Creepy man in a bush a lot. You know what I mean? It's like she recognized like, oh, wait a second. There's something in the heart that's like. If it's of God and it's unconventional, it doesn't matter if it's conventional or practical. It's just like if I follow through here. It, it works. And this is Jesus messages coming out the gate. You know, Name the Syrian who's so ticked off like many people in the charismatic. A lot of times when you preach the true gospel. Naaman, Naaman literally says, if you look back at that, he's like, I thought he would at least come wave his hand over it, <laughs> wave his hand over my leprosy or do like, I want him to do something I want the, hey, you know, I want some supernatural swirling thing. And, and to the, until the servant's like, hey, like if he said go dip seven times, maybe you should just try that. Why does it got to be something like that? We understand the Jordan River is the place of baptism. It's the place Jesus just came out of. It's the Jordan. It's the, it's the stepping into the promised land. It's the baptism of the Spirit in power. That's what Jordan is. It's the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, of might, and knowledge of the fear of the Lord, like Isaiah 11. Like, this is the prophecy of who Jesus was. And we see Jesus talking about this seven-time baptism in the Jordan, which he had actually just undergone, and saying, hey, listen, if you want things to work out, instead of going to the doctors and the physicians, or wanting a big charismatic overhaul of this whole gig, it's just like, why don't you just listen to me and follow through on this Christian walk and you'll be surprised that you'll be made whole in the process and you'll actually connect to me, which is the root of every desire of your heart. Mm -hmm. Well, but I'll have to leave all. It's like, yeah, you have to leave all, but the things that need taken care of will take care of themselves. Peter was learning, if you'll choose to follow me. And I was, I'm a kid, I'm thinking, like, if I, tra- if I follow the Lord, I know He's going to make me move to a country I don't like, or He's going to make me be in church for the rest of my life, which kind of did happen, but I, I thought it would be bad. He's going to make me do some, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to get called to ministry, and then I can just be poor, and just, gosh, those people are so miserable, you know what I'm saying? But it's like this, this mentality we have of God, He's visiting us constantly, and He's showing us, like, hey, it's not what you thought. It's not at all what you thought. And the key to the desires of our heart, are the, it's the exhilaration of what it means and looks like to follow the good shepherd. Yeah. It's light versus darkness, it's purpose, it is destiny, and it is wholeness. And Nahum the Syrian, like, that's the definition of not being whole, you know. The le- leprosy is your body parts falling off, you know what I mean? It's disconnection, you know. It's being completely disconnected. From God and having relationships in your life. And Jesus is coming around constantly preaching this message hey, if you'll seek first the kingdom and righteousness here with me, all that you need will be added unto you. If you seek first the kingdom, he whose mind and eye is actually single, their whole body's full of light. There's this place of actual priority that's just like, hey, man, if if, you, if, you, if, you, if we want success in this life, success is heaven, and heaven is not a place you go when you die. It is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy. Two things that people do not have in this world, man. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Peace is confidence. It is the absence of fear. And joy, you know, I don't gotta define that. I don't even know if I can, but you know what I'm saying, it's happiness. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven three 3 says, But I fear lest, ha- lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And it's like, here you have like the New Testament, and you have the epistles, the letters of the Bible, where the apostles and these letters are written to people saying, hey, don't make it complicated and don't become religious. Just, simple, just, sim- just listen to him and just do what he says and it pans out brilliantly every time, you know? And I love that word, that corrupted from the simplicity, that, that word is actually singleness, that your minds may be corrupted from the singleness. Man, it's like if you seek the kingdom first, if you know his voice, you recognize it, everything opens. And I love that story, man. And I love Peter actually sitting there and getting his mind broken as a professional, <laughs> you know what I mean? By throwing a net from one side of a boat to another side. Amen. And it's ripping. It's ripping the actual nets. Amen. And it's causing the entire business to, to, to bring in a, a profit that they, they've never probably ever had. To the point where it's sinking their ships. And everyone that saw Jesus, he was so humble. If the rules of this world would have known they would have never crucified him. He was coming to pay for all of us, but he was letting us know what he was like. Because we don't need to know who he is. It's, there's something so much higher of knowing his ways, which is actually walking with him, man, which is actually becoming conformed to his image in all that we're doing. You dig? And so here's Peter, his mind still being broken, his best friend's crucified. He sells him out. I don't and know him, you know. And all of a sudden, here he's back on the beach. Throw it on that other, throw it on the right side this time. And they're just like, what did that dude say? Do it. See what happens. And as soon as it is, it's like, I don't even have time for y'all to help y'all. I don't have time to paddle back. I'm out. I'm going after him. I've learned to recognize him. You know. Mm. Sometimes the voice of the Lord is so simple. And the way of the Lord is so simple. You know, especially I see a lot of young people here today. It's like. Young people often, and I, you see people, and it's good, but trying to figure out their path in life, you know, and sometimes that can come with an inability to actually follow through or like commit to something. And those who are to who are planted in the Spirit are the planting the oaks of righteousness, or the planting of the Lord. There's something of being established in Him, in follow through, in commitment with Him that causes your life to really thrive and grow. And some people are afraid to fully commit because they're afraid to fully miss whatever God's avenue to, is going to be. They're afraid to commit, oh, to even like going to school or taking classes or something, because like I don't want to miss and and it not you know it's not spiritual enough for what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is, but you know what I'm saying. So they so they spend a lot of time missing shots that they could take out of fear that God's not going to lead them. You know, when in reality committing our works to the Lord, let Him establish the work of our hands and follow through with Him. It's just like that seven-time dip in the baptism, like all the doors of our life in this walk open by our heart being connected to His heart. And us even walking through the issues of our heart with Him and fully actually seeking first His kingdom in all things and becoming conformed constantly to His image having follow through in commitment in our walk with him and resolve to follow him and being ruthless even with the issues of the heart as they manifest causes the doors to open in the real practical plastic world it's amazing to see so many times people's opportunities and openings in life come in this walk not by how how well we network ourselves, or how you know you know how, how our resume circulates, or who knows who, and all these things. But by by being faithful in our hearts to walk through our process with the Lord, and allowing Him to open the doors of our life, it's very simple and it's profound, and it's also very unorthodox. But when you when you realize that eternity is in his eyeballs, burning like blue flames. And he has, he, he, he literally holds the structure of all that's been created in his hand, holds everything together. Then you realize like, oh, I can rest and actually just completely follow him and, and walk in this simple obedience of devotion to him and things will work out the way they're supposed to be. And I can not be afraid To put my hands to being diligent and put my hands to growth in this practical world and missing God because it's, he's not a, he's not a broke shepherd or just a, that's a bad way of saying a broke (laughs) shepherd, but you know what I'm saying? He's not bad at his job. You know what I mean? His spirit is here to lead us into all truth and into life, peace and wholeness.